This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. And welcome in to the Yusinia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you on this wonderful Saturday with another terrific show as Jake Brown of WFAN and several other outlets. Guy does a little bit of everything. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking a little bit about the New York Mets, what he's seen so far this year in baseball in general. It's going to be a lot of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. As always, whenever you guys have a question, I answer them in the first segment. At GNNRSquare81 is where you can tweet them in. I did not have any questions for today. But I did release that this podcast would be coming out a little bit late just because I wound up dislocating my shoulder. I sat on the floor. I got it back into place because I had to do this podcast for you guys. So if you're noticing that's a little bit more rushed, that is why. But please forgive me here. But we are going to be taking a look back at yesterday's results and trying to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. How about the Milwaukee Brewers pulling off a 7-0 win against the Chicago Cubs? This game was a little bit closer than the final score indicates as it was 1-0 going into the 7th inning and then the floodgates open. A Chicago Cubs bullpen that had been looking a little bit better throughout the season just failed them in this one as 
You've got a couple guys out there that have become a little bit untrustworthy. Jose Quintana was not necessarily given the best start. Six and two-thirds innings, he winds up giving up three runs. He unraveled in that seventh inning. Alan Webster came out of the bullpen. He wound up giving up two runs. He now has a 4.91 ERA. And then for the Cubs, they just weren't able to hit with men in scoring position. 0 for 9 in that regard. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Brewers, they were doing a terrific job of being able to generate some power with Ryan Braun getting his eighth home run of the year. And they got a great start out of Gio Gonzalez, which I did not expect. He now has three starts for the team. He is 1-0. He's got a 169 ERA. He might be a guy I might need to back a little bit more because I was bearish on him coming in. And then from there, the Brewers' bullpen looks sensational. Corbin Burns is now coming out of the bullpen. He was able to get a big strikeout of Javi Baez. Junior Guerra was able to do a nice job. And then you've got Alex Claudio, who I think is now the modern version of Everyday Ray. He was able to close the door there. And the Brewers, one of the better teams in regards to unders so far this year. So that is something that you do want to note. The LA Angels appear to be appearing appear to be doing quite well with their bats. They knock off the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 8-3. to three. And for the LA Angels, Mike Trout was able to go yard in this one. His eighth home run of the year. He had a big game. And Trevor Kale seemed to get online with regards to his stuff. He was struggling throughout the year. He only gave up one home run in this one, which is much fewer than he has been throughout the year. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. That home run wound up being hit by Trey Boom Boom Mancini. That was his seventh of the year, and Chris Davis added another one late for his fourth. But all in all, the Orioles seem to be coming back to earth with their offense, and Dan Straley, guy that you can't be betting on. Six earned runs in four and two thirds. Four and a third innings pitch. And then the bullpen gives up two runs in four and two-thirds innings, which for them is actually pretty decent. And with the Angels, the offense has really picked up with 12 hits in this one. Very good signs there. Very good signs for the Toronto Blue Jays as they were able to get to Dylan Covey early. And they were able to get a 4-3 to three win in this one. All four runs that were surrendered by the White Sox in this one were given up by Dylan Covey, who is a guy that I'm going to continue to fade until further notice. I will say once again, the White Sox bullpen is looking better in a little bit over four innings of in a little bit over three innings of relief. They do not give up a single run and just two hits for that matter. But Dylan Covey, in his four and two thirds innings, gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including five walks. They were able to get a home run out of Tim Anderson at 7th of the year, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, they were able to get home runs out of Randall Gritchick and Teoscar Hernandez. They're 6th and 3rd of the year. Got to be continuing to take unders with Toronto Blue Jays. Ever since Vlad Guerrero Jr. got called up to the big leagues, they're hitting below 200, but you got to like the way that the bullpen in general was able to perform for the Toronto Blue Jays because they wound up having to pitch Daniel Hudson as a essentially opener, and nobody went beyond 2 and 2 thirds innings. That was Sam Gaviglio, who gave up one run in that stint. He has a 195 ERA, and the Blue Jays in general have a very good bullpen, so they're a little bit trustworthy there. They're just not really getting things going with the bats in general. A team that also is not getting much done with the bats is the Miami Marlins, but the total still went over because the total was 7 in the Mets versus Marlins game, and the Mets had more than 7 runs by the end of the first inning as this was just a start that you want to forget if you're one Pablo Lopez. He gives up 10 earned runs in three innings. His ERA is now a 5.93. Good news is the bullpen gave up just one run in five innings for the Miami Marlins. That's a good sign. But for the New York Mets, obviously a get-right game. They're 
Mets had been really struggling going into this game, and they were able to get a couple home runs. Amit Rosario, his third. Michael Conforto, his seventh. And Jeff McNeil, his second. And then Zach Wheeler looked terrific in this game. 11 strikeouts in seven innings. He gave up nine hits, which obviously is a little bit high, but just two earned runs as Miami Marlins continue to not hit with men in scoring position. It's a sensational. They are the worst team in regards to runs per game in the big leagues for a reason. And a team that was looking pretty decent at the start, but wound up having things not go their way as the Tampa Bay Rays, as they wound up getting a three spot in the fifth inning, but lose to the New York Yankees by a count of four to three. The big takeaway in this one was that Tyler Glasnow had to leave in the sixth inning due to injury. He wound up giving up four runs, three of which were earned. He takes a loss in this one, his first of the year. 186 is the ERA, but the bigger concern is, will he miss a couple starts? As for the Tampa Bay Rays, G-Man Choi and Austin Meadows both hit dingers. Austin Meadows being back in the lineup is huge. That was his seventh home run. He's hitting 359. He's going to really help out this Rays lineup, and G-Man Choi is third. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, they did jump on Glasnow early with two first inning runs. They didn't supply any power, but Domingo Herman continues to be a solid starter for the team. This was probably his worst outing of the year. He now has a 270 ERA. He gave up those two runs in the five innings, but the bullpen of the Yankees is starting to look like what we thought it was going to. Aroldis Chapman, Zach Britton, Adam Adovino, and Tommy Canely all pitch a school ascending for the team, so a very good team win there. The bullpen was not really needed for the Boston Red Sox as they were able to get a 14-1 thrashing of the Seattle Mariners. Eric Swanson, got to be continuing to fade him. In 4.2 innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. And then Zach Roscup and everyone else that came out of the bullpen for the Seattle Mariners all gave up at least one run. Mike, Mike Wright now has an ERA of an 824 after he gave up three runs in 1.1 inning. Anthony Swarzak now has a 617 ERA. Things are just... Not going well for this team in general. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, Mitch Moreland delivers his 11th home run to you. Rafael Devers is second, and Andrew Benintendi and Andrew Benintendi is fifth. Eduardo Rodriguez, who our man yesterday, Sean Zarrillo said, was the victim of a little bit of bad luck, looked terrific in this one. Seven innings pitch. He doesn't give up a single run. It's perhaps as if the guy that joined me yesterday knew what he was talking about. Though, if you want a bad sign for the Boston Red Sox, once again, Tyler Thornburg comes in and gives up a run. But all in all, things looking very good for the Boston Red Sox, as they are for the Houston Astros. They completely blanked the Texas Rangers, the leader in offense in the big leagues by a count of 3-0. to zero. Justin Verlander continues to be sensational. In seven innings, he gives up just one hit, eight strikeouts. He was impressive. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, they mustered two hits the entire game, and Lance Lynn didn't pitch bad. Seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were solo shots, though, so that's obviously a concern. Rob Cinturinos, Jake Marizic, and Yuri Gurriel were able to provide that, but you got to like what you saw out of him. And then for the Rangers, they were able to get a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. That hasn't been seen by them very much, as coming in to do that was Jean-Marc Gomez, but... If you have an encouraging sign there, it is the fact that the Astros were able to get three home runs and they got a terrific start out of Justin Verlander. The Twins also had some good pitching as the Detroit Tigers get blanked in this one by a count of 6-0. Jake Odorizzi gives up just one hit in his seven innings of work. And then for the Minnesota Twins, supplying the power, Mitch Carver and Max Kepler both hit their eighth home runs of the year. And for the Detroit Tigers, Tyson Ross is looking like just an awful starter at this point. Five innings pitch. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. The good news for the Detroit Tigers is that three guys entered into the bull- entered into the game from the bullpen, and all three guys did not give up a single run. The bad news is, 
you're going to hear about who they have pitching in their doubleheader tomorrow, and it means that a bullpen that is one of the worst in the big leagues is going to be completely gassed, and they only got three hits in this one as not a single player not named Miguel Cabrera in the lineup other than Ronnie Rodriguez, who hasn't been with the team very long, was was hitting above 260 at nights. And how about Homer Bailey Day no longer being a thing? The Kansas City Royals get a 5-1 win over the Philadelphia Phillies, and Homer Bailey looked pretty darn good in this one. He winds up pitching five innings. He gives up just one run. 483 is now a ZRA. And then from there, the bullpen of the Kansas City Royals delivers four scoreless innings. Sean Barlow, Jake Diekman, and Ian Kennedy all look good there. And then for the Kansas City Royals, Alex Gordon, two home runs. His seventh and eighth of the year, and Jorge Soler goes deep for his 10th. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, They've been really hit or miss with the bats. In this one, they only got four hits off of Homer Bailey. Obviously, that's embarrassing. And Jake Arrieta, who had been doing pretty good so far this year, he gave up four runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, the Phillies bullpen only gave up one run in three innings of relief, and that was unearned by Hector Neris. So that one was not necessarily on him. The Phillies bullpen appears to be improving, but Jake Arrieta giving up those three runs and the offense in general not getting anything going. Obviously, woes there. The Pittsburgh Pirates and Trevor Williams seem to be back on line as they were able to get a 2-1 to win over the St. Louis Cardinals. Trevor Williams, who led the majors in regards to best ERA after the All-Star break last year, was able to get out of a lot of trouble. Seven innings pitch, he gives up nine hits, but just one earned run. And then from there, Vasquez and Kyle Crick were able to close the door. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals... They just weren't able to get that big hit in this one as they had a total of 10 hits, but they just couldn't get the job done. Adam Wainwright, though, gave them a very quality start. He winds up going seven innings. He gives up just one run, but it just continues with this guy. Andrew Miller, he gives up the game in the eighth inning, giving up a run in that one. He now has a 540 ERA. Things have just not been going well for him in recent years. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to get a home run out of Adam Frazier as well, his second of the year. So the Pirates' bats aren't necessarily getting going, but the pitching continues to be there. For the San Diego Padres, the bats haven't necessarily been great for this team this year, but the pitching has been. It was not on Friday night as the Colorado Rockies continue their surge. They wind up getting 12 runs on 17 hits, being able to get a 12-2 win. For the Rockies, they got a very good start out of Herman Marquez. 5.2 innings. He gives up 10 hits, which isn't necessarily great, but only two runs. And then from there, the bullpen that had been very shaky against the San Francisco Giants, to say the least, were able to give up no runs. And then for the Colorado Rockies, they only had one home run despite all of those hits. That was by Trevor Story, his ninth of the year. Meanwhile, for the San Diego Padres, not a good start for Eric Lauer. Gives up eight runs in three innings. And then everyone that entered the game from the bullpen wound up giving up at least one run. Phil Maton in two innings of work, three earned runs. And Matt Whistler, one run in three innings of relief. So a San Diego Padres bullpen that had been good all year long. Didn't look good there in Eric Lauer. Just a guy that is starting to approach that fadeless. A guy that is certainly not approaching the fadeless is Frankie Montas as he and the Oakland A's get a 4-3 win in 12 innings against the Cleveland Indians. Montas didn't necessarily have his best start, but it certainly was not bad. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs. And then from there, Lou Trevino wound up giving up a run, which led to extra innings. But from there, Joaquin Soria actually came in, delivered two innings of relief as he was able to get the win. And the winning run was provided by Max 
by Matt Chapman. His 10th home run of the year in the 12th inning that was off of Brad Hand. And Ramon Loreno also provided a home run for his fourth for the Indians. Cody Anderson did not deliver the start that they were looking for. He now has a 9.35 ERA in three innings pitch. He gives up two runs, but the bullpen. You really can't blame them, even though Brad Hand takes a loss in this one. They wind up giving up two runs in eight innings, so obviously they were able to do a pretty solid job there. Nick Ramirez wound up giving up a run, and then Brad Hand that home run, but all in all, some good signs there from the Indians that you've got to continue to take unders with. And the Atlanta Braves and the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to play unders as it was the Braves being able to get a 2-1 to win in this one. Julio Tehran seems to be turning things around a little bit. In six innings pitch, he gives up just one earned run and two walks. Very good for him. And then from there, the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves, which has been shaky all year long. Three innings of relief gave up just one hit. And the big hit for the Atlanta Braves was a Ronald Lucuna Jr. home run, his eighth of the campaign. That came off of Yoan Lopez, who had been very good up until that point. He still has a 1-1-70 ERA, and the man in Dries delivered a scoreless inning as well. But for the Diamondbacks, only four hits in this one, which has been very un-Diamondback-like as they've been one of the better offenses out there in the big league. So got to give a lot of credit to Julio Tehran and, and Zach Greinke. Once again, a good start for the Arizona Diamondbacks, even though he doesn't get the win in this one. He's a pitcher I'm going to continue to look to back as in seven innings, he had seven punch-outs and gave up just one run. Another pitcher that you've got to be looking to back is Kenta Maeda, I guess, because he looked very good against the Washington Nationals. He now improves his record to 4-2, ERA of a 4.03. He goes six innings, gives up just one hit, looked absolutely sensational. And then Julio Arias out of the bullpen has been great for the Dodgers. Three innings of no-run ball. And for the L.A. Dodgers, the offense continues to get going. Jock Peterson busts out of his slump in a big way. His 11th and 12th home runs of the year, and David Freese his third. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, Anibal Sanchez just continuing to have a rough go of it. He is now 0-6, goes four and a third innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The bullpen from there actually did not look, look bad. In three and two-thirds innings, the Washington Nationals bullpen gives up two runs, which for them, not necessarily horrible, but for the Nationals, their bats still have not gotten going. Four hits in this one. No runs generated whatsoever. They just have been having a really rough go of it. And speaking of offenses that you just don't know what you're going to get out of them, the San Francisco Giants. They get completely shellacked by the Cincinnati Reds. 7-0 the final in this one. Ever since Nick Senzel has been called up to the big leagues, the Reds seem to be doing a better job with their offense as he was able to have a triple in this one. And Luis Castillo looking like a Cy Young candidate. He has a 176 ERA. He pitches six innings at his start for the Reds. The five walks are an issue, but he got 11 strikeouts. And from there, the Reds bullpen that has been good all year long did not give up a single earned run in just two hits. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, Derek Rodriguez, he is not a pitcher that we're looking to back anytime soon. He was good last year, but this year, not so much. Though this loss, not necessarily on him. He gave up four runs in five innings, none of which were earned, as Tyler Austin and Brandon Crawford committed errors that really costed him. But from there, the bullpen did wind up giving up three runs for the San Francisco Giants. Travis Bergen wound up giving up all three of those runs for the Giants' bullpen. So, obviously a little bit of an issue there. And the Giants' bullpen was very good to begin the year, but in this one, just not so much. So, big takeaways from Friday's action. The Milwaukee Brewers and Gio Gonzalez look like something that you got to back. The Blue Jays' unders continue to be hot. The LA Angels are getting things done with the bats. The Marlins are a team that you got to continue to bet against. The Boston Red Sox appear to be back with their bats. Who knows what's going to be happening with Tyler Glass now and that injury. The Minnesota Twins continue to roll. The Pittsburgh Pirates 
pitching appears to be back. The Colorado Rockies are just white hot with their bats. The A's and Indians continue to play a lot of unders, and the Cincinnati Reds look to be improving while the San Francisco Giants bullpen continues to stink. So that does it for what we all saw from yesterday. Now we got to turn the page forward to today, and helping me do so is going to be Jake Brown of WFAN. That is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. Great pleasure to have on our next guest. He is based out there in the wonderful state of New York. You can catch him on WFAN. He does a lot of stuff as well with SiriusXM, more for their NFL coverage. He runs his own podcast as well. We'll be talking about that towards the end of the podcast as well. This is a man that wears many, many different hats. And you can follow him on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, all one word. And it is Jake Brown joining me. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Probably not as good as you are in Viva Las Vegas, but one day I'll (laughs) I'll make my way out there. Excellent. And a team that should be doing pretty well this weekend is the New York Mets, a team that you know quite well because – They're going to be taking on the Miami Marlins. Let's face it, things not going well for the Marlins, to say the least. And it should be very interesting to see what happens on Saturday as the Mets trot out there another one of their very good pitchers. And the Miami Marlins, well, let's face it, their whole pitching staff hasn't necessarily been great. It's going to be Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. What are your thoughts overall on this Mets team? Because we saw the offense really emerge this year. It's really come back to earth a little bit, but they obviously still have that great pitching staff sans the bullpen. Yeah, it's been a weird year because they started off great. You're excited. Pete Alonso swinging the bat like crazy, and then they regressed. I'm actually more worried about the pitching than I am the lineup. A lot of people are concerned saying bats aren't swinging, they're not scoring runs, but bats, they come and go. Guys go in slumps and guys get streaky, and I think the Mets have the bats, and a big guy that comes back this weekend against the Marlins is Jed Lowry, and having his bat in the lineup is so huge because it allows you to Push Todd Frazier to the bench, who's been abysmal since the second he got here. He's been injured. He's underperformed. And sure, he's a great veteran leader, but he's got to stay on the bench. And Jed Lowry's inserted right at third, and he can play all over the infield. And if they really need to, put him in the outfield. So I think Jed Lowry coming back is huge for this team. And pitching-wise, they got to – I wrote about this for WFN. They have to go out and get an arm, whether that's Keuchel, whether it's Kimbrell, whether it's trading at some point for Mike Miner. They have to get a pitcher because you cannot try Jason Vargas out there every five days. And even when he pitches okay, he doesn't pitch more than five innings, and then you're taxing your bullpen. So with the inconsistencies of Syndergaard and even DeGrom and Matt's hurt now and Wheeler's inconsistency and Vargas being terrible, got to get an arm. So I'm actually more worried about the pitching than I am the lineup. I think the lineup will come around. Absolutely. And we saw Wilmer Font get a start a couple days ago for the New York Mets. He actually wasn't bad in the start. I believe he gave up two runs in four innings. That's actually serviceable. But I know that for his career, he has a negative war. Not necessarily something that you want. And I've had Jason Vargas on my fade list all year long. And with the bullpen in general, it's hard to be able to trust these guys. Whatever Chris Flexen is in the game, you know that your ticket on the New York Mets is just going to go straight into the dumpster. Robbie Gazelman just has not been great. Jurisic Familia, I have a joke that he is Spanish for blow and save. He's right now on the injured list, which I actually argue is a good thing for the New York Mets. It's just one of those things where 
I don't know what to make out of them at this point because, like you said, the bats have been coming and going, but we know that at some point Robinson Cano and company are going to be able to pick it up, but it's just one of those things where I'm just unsure of what you're going to get out of this pitching rotation because Steven Matz is good. You know, at some point, Syndergaard's going to come around. Jacob deGrom is Jacob deGrom. Heck, even Zach Wheeler. But who's going to be that number five guy? Yeah, and the, and the bullpen, you can't keep throwing out guys that you didn't get to match because they're not worth it, like Tyler Bashler and Corey Oswalt. And you can't throw those guys out and tie games like they did Bashler giving up the go-ahead homer against the Padres to lose that series. You can't keep doing that. So that's why I think getting a Kimbrel, and while Familia has been inconsistent and bad, it shows you that without him, they're even worse. And Gazelman has been up and down. He's wildly inconsistent. And even Edward Diaz, who was Mr. Reliable up until a week or two ago, he struggled a little bit. He came in a couple of non-safe situations, which clearly he wasn't as good in. The game the other night where he nearly blew it and the Mets hung on for dear life. So there's been no one that's really been that reliable from top to bottom, pitching-wise, offensively, and that's why this team's a couple games under 500. The recipe for success right now is a team like the Marlins coming in town, but of course that happens and there's supposed to be storms this weekend. So who knows if they even play these games. The Mets need badly to play teams like the Marlins at bad teams because, listen, the National League is better than the American League right now. The American League, you're seeing teams like the Yankees win because of a pretty easy schedule and just a lot of bad teams. The National League, there's no real days off until maybe you play the Marlins. So the, the Mets have had a tough break here with a tough schedule and playing teams like the Brewers and Cardinals and Phillies, and then they're not making the best of it. We do have Jake Brown joining me right here on the podcast. And being out there in New York, I know that obviously you know a little bit about the Yankees as well. They're going to be playing their weekend series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, the pitching matchup I'm seeing for Saturday is CeCe Sabathia against Blake Snell. I think that this is just so interesting, the division in general, just because we saw the Boston Red Sox really get out to that brutal start. They seem to be picking things up. And then with the Yankees, they're all sorts of banged up. They're finally getting back guys like Miguel Andujar. Gary Sanchez has been back in for like a week or so. Clint Frazier returned, I would say, about last week. But somehow, some way, the Yankees just keep on finding a way to win games. The bullpen has been okay, but it hasn't necessarily been what we expected. But then you just get guys like Joe Ursula and company that are stepping up, and I actually have to tip my hat to Brian Cashman as to the job he's done this year. Yeah, and what's funny about it is just the nonstop Yankee fans crying over the fact that they didn't get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. And here's a guy who I thought <laughs> was maybe the most underrated move of the offseason was getting DJ LeMayu, and the guy's hitting 340. I mean, he's been amazing. He plays all over the infield. He plays terrific defense. And we could talk all day about a guy like Gio Urshela, who, I mean, I hadn't even heard of him. I mean, most people have not heard of him. Unless you were a diehard Cleveland Indian fan, you haven't heard of Gio Urshela. So he's come in here. I mean, you're listening to your Walkman, watching Mike Talkman in the outfield. I mean, me and you are in the infield at some point. I mean, they are plugging guys in that you had not heard of, and they're having big roles. And it's impressive seeing what they're doing. Again, part of it, I contribute to the schedule. Listen, you beat the teams you should. That's great. I'm interested to see when they do start playing better teams, how they fare. But give them credit. I mean, everyone was knocking Cashman for not spending the big bucks on these contracts. And look at what Urshel and LeMay have done versus what a guy like Harper has done. And the guy who's making 0.1% of the salary <laughs> is outplaying the guy who signed the 13-year deal. So applaud Brian Cashman, who a lot of people wanted fired multiple times. And I think he's one of the best GMs in sports. He consistently has got it done, and he puts winners together. And this year, being able to do it through injury and depth in baseball is so, so important. I think it's something that the Mets addressed 
okay offensively, but the Yankees are showing like depth wise, they have it from top to bottom. And once they get these guys back, considering they're a couple games out of first now, it's scary to think this team could be another hundred, uh, hundred win season in the cards down the road here. Absolutely. I've been very impressed by what I've seen out of the Yankees this year. And then perhaps the most surprising team in the American League, not named the Tampa Bay Rays, has actually been the Minnesota Twins. Like what I'm seeing out of them, they win 23 out of their first 35 games. It's been really impressive because they've been really doing it with the long ball. 64 home runs in their first 35 games of the year. I don't think anyone saw someone like Eddie Rosario hitting 13 home runs at this point of the year. It's been absolutely insane. What do you make out of this team? Because at the beginning of the year, I thought, you know what? The Twins are probably going to be the second best team out there in the AL Central. Probably get to 500 because they're going to be able to rack up wins over teams like the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, who they're playing on Saturday and whatnot. But I did not see this coming. No, I don't think anyone did. And there's just a ragtag bunch that always finds a way to get it done. Rocco Baldelli's done a great job. And again, I'll contribute part of it, and I don't want to knock the team for doing well. That division is is garbage. I mean, outside of Minnesota Agreed. and Cleveland, that division is is awful. I mean, the Royals are a disaster. The White Sox have a good young team, but are still very far away from being contender. So we'll see how they fare. But I'm impressed, and, and you're right. And they're doing it without Williams Astudillo, who's, who's kind of their utility. He's their catcher, but he could also play third and outfield and. He's been out for a little bit, so it's been even more impressive that they've been they've been able to do it without him. And Nelson Cruz, I mean, the guy every year. I mean, I think everyone sleeps on Nelson Cruz, and he continues to put up great numbers, and people forget about him as one of the better offensive players in baseball. And he continues to show people, hey, I'm still here. I'm a year older, and I'm a year better. He's had a nice year as well. So all around, I mean, you probably can't name 10 to 15 twins, but they're all producing. And even a guy like Martin Perez has been pitching well. So give Rocco Baldelli credit and give give them a lot of credit. They have a ragtag bunch that finds ways to win. And 23 and 12 is quite the start. And just imagine what's going to happen when Marwin Gonzalez starts hitting as well as we've got Jake Brown joining me right here on the podcast. And is there any other teams that have really been standing out to you so far this year that you've really been impressed with? I pointed out the Minnesota Twins. The New York Yankees, obviously, as well. I know that you're out there in the great state of New York. You cover the Mets a lot. I've just been really surprised in general with this NL East because it seems like the offense comes and goes. The Phillies have some days where they look terrific on offense. There are other days where they score zero runs. And I feel like the Nationals in general, I a lot of people expected more of them. I thought there would be a lot of regression. We're seeing it right now. And I think that it really lends itself to a very open race out there in the NL East. Yeah. Well, first off, NL East wise, I think it's going to be tight all year. And I think Washington, I mean, they've had the Yankees syndrome. They've had really the Mets syndrome the last 20 years where everyone gets hurt. The Mets have been known for a lot of guys getting hurt. The Nationals are just banged up right now. And I think they'll turn this thing around. I think people point to the Memorial Day as the first benchmark. I still think about it as the All-Star break. I don't think... You could truly evaluate if a team is a contender or not until halfway through or around the All-Star break. I still think Memorial Day is kind of early, still a lot of injuries going on. So I think that's going to be a four-team race throughout. I'm not surprised the Phillies aren't first. We know how good their offense is. I think they might come down to earth here. We know their pitching staff is questionable, and we know the bullpen in the entire NL East has been bad. So I'm curious once the Nationals get guys back, see if they climb out of the hole that they're in. In terms of the most surprising team, besides the Twins, I have to say the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, everyone is pitching for them. They're hitting. They're doing it all right now. First place in a division that you locked in the Yankees or Red Sox to win. 
I look at the Rays as probably the most surprising team in baseball and guys like Tyler Glass now pitching Cy Young-esque baseball so far. So uh, the Rays and the Twins are definitely the most surprising team. We'll see if the Rays continue again. It might be a symptom of being early in the year on the schedule. But, I mean, the Rays pitching right now is pretty scary. The Rays have been absolutely sensational. And on Saturday, they're going to be trotting out their Blake Snell, who's been on the injured list. He had two rough starts against the Kansas City Royals, which I think is so unique because he has those two starts against the Royals that look so bad. And then he comes back in his next start, and he just looks absolutely sensational once again. I don't know how a bad team like that has your number, but it is something that's going on. And something in general that I've noticed in baseball is struggling aces. We've seen it a lot in the NL East. It appears as though Aaron Nola is getting back online, but you know all too well that Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom have had their issues. Max Scherzer has had his issues. Steven Strasburg has certainly had some issues. Garrett Cole, even of the Houston Astros, has been getting a bunch of strikeouts, but he's been giving up a lot of hard contact as well. Is there anything that you attribute that to just because the guys that we mentioned, Tyler Glasnow and company, they're right now the aces in baseball. Meanwhile, these guys like Max Scherzer, they haven't gotten off to the starts that we typically are accustomed to. Yeah, well, first off, I think the weather plays such a huge factor, and it's been so weird, the weather here, especially here on the East Coast, raining one day. I worked yesterday, it was a snow out, Colorado, so the weather and these guys trying to get a grip on a ball in 30 to 50 degree temperatures where the winds are howling is not easy. And I, I think we've seen this a lot where guys struggle early and then they pick it up when the weather warms up. So I think that's one factor. Another one is the balls have been juiced this year. I mean, some people have talked about it. It hasn't been talked about a lot, but the, the balls are different this year and, and guys have had a different feel on it and they're struggling with it. That's why you see a lot of guys put stuff on their hat or, or some pine tar on, on their glove or something where they can get an edge because these balls are juiced this year. I, I can't describe it. It's better people to talk about it and scientific people and sports science people to talk about this stuff. But the balls are different this year. I don't know what's juice, what the material is. It's something has changed. This is a fact. I just don't know how to describe it. But it's it's definitely effective pitchers, and we're seeing it early. But once this weather warms up, I give it another week or two. I think I'm going to like fully evaluate how good and bad these guys are. But when you talked about Syndergaard, it's scary because, yeah, you put, the weather plays a factor. But this guy had that one dominant start. I was there last week. And besides that, he's given up four and five runs every time. It's not like he's even throwing quality starts. He's just been getting rocked. So I think there's some concerning signs there. But yeah, let's let's give it a week, see the weather warm up. Absolutely. And Jake, I would like to close it up with this. I know that you're doing tremendous work out there for just a wide variety of platforms. Let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media and what you're all doing. Yeah, you can follow me on social media, Jake Brown Radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. I'm going to be starting up a new podcast soon. I can't announce it yet. I'm, I'm working on final details and stuff. It might be on my own. It might be. I'm doing one with Constantine Maroulis from American Idol. a big sports fan right now. But I may be switching to the entertainment and lifestyle and dating side of talking for a podcast network. So I'll announce that hopefully. I mean, hopefully before Memorial Day is the hope. I'd like to get that rolling. And then I'm producing occasionally at SiriusXM NFL Radio and writing Definitely check out my weekly Mets column on WFAN.com. And there's always new things that come about. So just follow on social media. And next week, I'll probably have a new career. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that is the way that it goes in this industry, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a it's a roller coaster ride. It's like you're at Six Flags in this industry, but uh, hopefully it levels out soon. 
Absolutely. A big thanks to Jake Brown for joining me in the last segment right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. A big thanks to Jake Brown of WFAN Radio for joining me as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted up on my Twitter page at unit underscore 81. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go. Other of these plays currently in wait-and-see mode. And as always, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 901-902 on the betting rotation. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. On the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's going to be... Jordan Lyles, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, Miles Mikolas. Drawing this game ranging between 8 and 8.5. And There's one 8 out there with the over of minus 115, under is minus 105. For the rest of the numbers out there, the 8.5 has an under of minus 115, the over is minus 105. If you like the Pirates, you're going to get anywhere between a plus price of plus 150 and plus 156. For the Cardinals, you're laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 166. This is a spot in which I really do have to look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jordan Lyles has been pretty good so far this year, and we saw the Pirates be able to give their bullpen a little bit of relief because Trevor Williams gave them a very nice start. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, they've been very hit or miss with the bats recently. We saw them be able to get a 17-run outburst a few days ago. Then they were held to one yesterday. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the offense has not really been there, to say the least, for them so far this year. They get Sterling Marte off the injured list along with... Gregory Polanco. Polanco's hitting above 300, but he got the day off yesterday. Got like the way that Brian Reynolds has emerged with a 348 average, and Josh Bell doing a little bit of everything. He's been able to give the team a 300 average, and he's hitting for nine home runs so far this year. Adam Frazier has been a nice addition as well. He's hitting right around 260 at the top of, at the, top of the lineup, but you do have some Bats out there that are not doing the job. Francisco Cervelli hitting below the Mendoza line along with Cody Tucker. And then you've got other guys that they're just not doing a good job of getting on base, especially Jung Kung. But then with the St. Louis Cardinals, Matt Carpenter at the top lineup hitting just 207. That's obviously a whoa. Dexter Feller's hitting 300, so he's been big at, in the middle of the lineup along with Jose Martinez, who is hitting 340. Paul DeYoung is up to a 327 average. And then Paul Goldschmidt hitting 263. But his power has not really been there. He hasn't hit a home run in quite a while. And Colton Wong seems to be going a little bit cold as well. The Pirates bullpen hasn't necessarily been the best, but when you have Jordan Lyles out there, you don't need the best bullpen. 220 is a ZRA, 32 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up three home runs, and he's got 29 punch-outs. 12 walks is a little bit high, especially compared to his counterpart, Miles Mikolas. 
He, for the year, has given out just nine free passes in 47 innings. He only has 28 punch-outs, so he hasn't done a great job there. And he's given out eight long balls, but I do think that this is a total that's going to go under. St. Louis was very hot with their bats, but they seem to be coming back down to earth, and now they seem to be a little bit of a feast or famine team. And with the Pirates, they're just not providing a lot of power, but I do like the way that they're pitching in general. And I do think the value is here with the Pirates. So I'm going to be on this total under, and I'm going to be on the Pirates. Currently, Wayne C mode since the numbers are moving. Moving around a little bit with both of these, I'd like to get an unjuiced 8.5. And then with the Pirates, I'm trying to see if I'm able to get maybe a little bit more of a 160, but going to be playing both of those. 903-904 on the bang rotation. The Chicago Cubs play host of the Milwaukee Brewers. Total on this game is off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but the Brewers are getting a plus price anywhere between plus 128 and plus 136. Meanwhile, if you like the Chicago Cubs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 138 and minus 146. Cole Hamels has done a pretty solid job for the Cubs so far this year, and so has Zach Davies. If we're noticing that the wind is not blowing out too far, I'm probably going to be looking at an under, especially after the Brewers were able to blank the Cubs yesterday with the Chicago Cubs. A lot of their bats have been doing a pretty good job so far this year, but they have been a little bit hit or miss. Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo seem to be picking things up, though. Yesterday, the Cubs offense in general was just not able to get anything generated. And we are noticing that Jason Hayward has seen his average dip to a 274. He was white out to begin the year, but Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras in the middle of the lineup have been great. Baez, 11 home runs this year. Wilson Contreras has been aiding quite a few himself. Both these guys hitting above 315. David Bodie has seen a little bit of a dip in his average, and Anderson Russell in his couple games back in the lineup hitting just a buck 67. But with the Milwaukee Brewers, you do have Chris. Christian Yelich, who has 16 home runs, 36 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational for this team, hitting 352. Ryan Braun has picked up his average and is providing some power. Lorenzo Cain is only hitting 250, but you do have some inconsistent bats with the Brewers as well. Jesus Aguiar, Travis Shaw, and Manny Pina are all hitting below the Mendoza line. Hernan Perez is only hitting 221 himself, but Orlando Arcia seems to be picking things up with a 254 average. Mike Moustakis is hitting 269 himself, and we saw Braun hit his eighth home run of the year yesterday. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, you're going to have Josh Hader available since he did not pitch in the game yesterday. And it might be only Davies and hater that you need because Davies is currently 4-0, ERA, 1-2-4 whip in 40 and a third innings pitch. He's given out 14 walks, which is a little bit high, but only three long balls. And then with Cole Hamels, he's also given up 14 walks in a very comparable sample size, 42 and two-thirds innings. His ERA is a 3-3-8, though, and he's given up five home runs, so he's been giving up a little bit more of the hard contact. And I do think that the Brewers do have a very good pitching staff out there, and with the Cubs, Pedro Strope is currently on the 10-day and in general, we've seen the bullpen fail them a little bit too much. Guys like Brad Brock and Brandon Kinsler have been doing a decent job, but all in all, I have a little bit more faith in the Brewers pitching staff, so for that reason, going to be taking the plus price here with the Brewers, currently Wayne Seamote on this number, and with the total, probably going to be looking at it under, but check back on my Twitter feed at GNNRSGrade. 81 for a play on that in the morning. 905-906 on the betting rotation. The New York Mets play host to the Miami Marlins. Sandy Alcantara going for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Jacob deGrom on the bump for the New York Mets. Drawing this game is 6.5 with the over at minus 120. The under is even. If you like the New York Mets, across the board you're laying between $3 and minus 310. If you want to take a shot here with the Miami Marlins, that is anywhere between plus 250 and plus 260. This is a spot where I really do have to take a look at the Miami Marlins. I remember the last time Jacob deGrom got a start against the Miami Marlins. He had 14 strikeouts in seven innings, but you got to think that the Marlins are going to be able to pick it up with the bats. Miguel Rojas hitting 252 is not necessarily 
great for one of your best averages, but we've seen Martin Brado be able to hit a little bit better. The outfield in general with the Marlins has not been great this year. Curtis Granderson and Herrera are both hitting atrociously. Herrera hitting 203, Curtis Granderson a buck 79. But if you are seeing an encouraging sign with this team, it's that Neil Walker is hitting 289, Cyril Castro hitting 231, not necessarily great, but he seems to be doing better. And Jorge Alfaro hitting 250 with three home runs himself. Meanwhile, with the New York Mets, Pete Alonso has been doing a nice job for this team. He got the day off yesterday, but all in all, he's been providing some power with 11 home runs, hitting above 270. And Jeff McNeil at the top of the lineup, hitting 363, is obviously encouraging. J.D. Davis has been hitting 289, but Robinson Cano hitting just 261. And then we've seen Wilson Ramos see his average dip all the way to a 235. He hasn't been great. Brandon Nimmo hitting just above the Mendoza line amid Rosario. Has been doing a good job for this team, hitting 279. But you also take a look at Michael Conforto, a guy that's been into a little bit of funk. The 3-for-3 game with a home run yesterday, you got to think, is going to get him a little bit online. But Hechevarria, ever since he got added to the lineup, has been hitting below the Mendoza line along with Todd Frazier. And with the Marlins... They do have a guy in El Cantero that does a good job of being able to limit some hard contact. 38 and a third innings. He's given up four home runs. The 21 walks are very much a concern, but he actually hasn't been a terrible pitcher. Meanwhile, with Jacob deGrom, he has a 360 ERA. He just hasn't been himself this year as he's given up six home runs in 40 innings. And I do feel like if the Marlins can get into the bullpen, they're going to get one of the worst out there for the Mets. You've got Jurcic Familia, who's currently on the 10-day injured list. Steven Matz and Jason Vargas are all sorts of banged up, so you're going to see guys like Robbie Gazelman, Bachelor and company coming in. And I think that it could lead to a situation Situation where the Marlins could be able to get a late win. So, in Wayne C mode as to what number I'm going to be able to get with the Marlins and with them giving up eight runs in the first inning yesterday, you got to think that this total is just a little bit too low. I think that they get to, to Grom here. So, going to be on the over in the Marlins, just in Wayne C mode as to what numbers I'm going to get in particular. 907-908 on the betting rotation. It is the Atlanta Braves and they are going on the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a game that's currently off the board since the pitching matchup was not known until the afternoon as it's going to be Kevin Gosman going on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, when you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've got Merrill Kelly going. I'm currently not even seeing as much as an offshore number, but with that said, I'm going to be taking a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks in the spot and a little bit of a bounce back spot. Kevin Gosman and Merrill Kelly are both guys that don't necessarily impress me, so I think that it's going to come down to the lineups in the bullpen. And with the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves, you've got a, guys, a lot of guys that you can't trust, like Wesley Parsons, A.J. Minter and company. I know that Josh Omlin has been doing a good job for the but for the Arizona Diamondbacks you have been getting some good bullpen play. I know that Archie Bradley did not have his finest moment in Coors Field a few weeks ago, and Greg Holland has given up two runs in his most recent two outings, but Greg Holland still has an ERA below two. He's certainly been getting the job done. And then Merrill Kelly, his 45 ERA and 149 whip is not necessarily great, but Kevin Gosman has a 5 ERA himself. He's given up five home runs in 36 innings. Merrill Kelly, 39 innings pitched, seven home runs given up. The 17 free passes aren't great, but Kevin Gosman has given up 15 walks himself. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think that they're going to be able to do a good job of hitting. I think that they're going to be able to get up after scoring just one run yesterday. God like the way that David Peralta is hitting above 300 for this team. Christian Walker was missing for a couple games for this team, but all in all, he's been doing a very good job with both the seven home runs that he's hit and the 288 average. Adam Jones seems to be in a little bit of a funk, but... <coughs> But he's been able to do a good job overall. And then you've got Cattell Marte, who's hitting 260, but he's done a great job of being able to drive in guys with nearly 
30 RBI, and he got 26 RBI out of David Peralta so far this year as well. Gerard Dyson at the top of the lineup has seven steals and is hitting 280 with an on-base percentage of 388. Obviously, that's a good sign for this team. And then you got Nick Mata at the bottom of the lineup who does a solid job of being able to get on as well. I think that with the way the Arizona Diamondbacks were able to maneuver their bullpen yesterday and they didn't really use any of the big bomber weapons. It gives them a little bit of an advantage. I'm going to be looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks and probably an under. We've been noticing these totals have been going under quite a bit. And with the Atlanta Braves in general, their bats sometimes are hot, sometimes they're gold. Ronald Acuna Jr. hitting 275 is nice, but then you've got a couple guys that have been very inconsistent. Josh Donaldson comes and goes with his bat. He's hitting right around 250-ish. He was able to have a decent performance a few days ago, but all in all, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. Acuna Jr., his eighth home run of the year is nice, and Ozzie Albies had seven dingers ago with a 275 average himself. Nick Marcakis has seen his average dip down below 300. He's out at a 294. Freddie Freeman hitting 305 is nice, but you got to think that Tyler Flowers is in for a little bit of regression as well, and we've seen Enciarte hit just 216 so far this year as well. So early leans are to the Arizona Diamondbacks and the under, but check back in the morning on my Twitter page for official plays at unit underscore 81. 909, 910 on the bang rotation. The San Diego Padres are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. This is another game that's off the board, but I'm seeing one number out there. That is the San Diego Padres, a plus 125 underdog, and the Colorado Rockies laying 135, 10 and a half is going to be the total on that with the over and under both at minus 110. And Joey Lucchese going for the San Diego Padres and for the Colorado Rockies, John Gray. I do think that Joey Lucchese is going to be able to have a little bit of a good performance in this one. We've seen him struggle a little bit so far this year, but... He's done a better job of being able to limit the hard contact. That was his issue last year. In 36 innings so far this year, he's allowed just four home runs. The 5 ERA is not necessarily redeeming, but he's cut down his walks down to 12, and that's been a little bit of an issue for John Gray. He's issued 18 free passes in 42 and two-thirds innings, and he's given up seven home runs, which is not a good combination for Coors Field. John Gray currently with a 4-2-2 ERA. And with the Colorado Rockies, we've also noticed that their bullpen seems to be coming back down to earth. Wade Davis has been giving up runs in his last couple outings. You've got guys like DJ Johnson and So O that are not doing the job. And for San Diego, you've got Matt Whistler, who's not necessarily the best bullpen arm, but Kirby Yates is very good at being able to close out games. Craig Stamen and company do a very good job of being able to come in and bridge the gap. And with the San Diego Padres over their first 39 games, they've got 57 home runs, so they're really able to supply the power, even though as a team, they're only hitting 230. Famio Reyes and Eric Hosmer are really leading the charge. Famio Reyes, 10 home runs so far this year. He's hitting right around 260, and then with Eric Hosmer, he's got six fingers of his own. He's really heated up the past couple weeks. He was hitting below the Mendoza line for quite a while, but now he has a batting average right around 280. And then you've got the other guys that are doing a decent job as well. Greg Garcia has upped his average to a 244. Manny Machado is up to a 250 himself as the Padres were able to get 12 hits yesterday against the Colorado Rockies, but all in all, they just weren't able to drive them in as they went two for 11 with men in scoring position. You got to think that that'll change. The catcher spot in general has been a little bit tough for this team, but Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro seem to be getting something going with Renfro getting three home runs this week. Meanwhile, with Colorado Rockies, they're all sorts of hot with the bat. Charlie Blackman hitting above 300. Nolan Arenado hitting 325, 10 home runs. He's been terrific, but we're noticing that Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond have been slacking. Desmond has his average up to a 221, but Daniel Murphy still below the Mendoza line. Garrett Hampson is still hitting at a 202. That hasn't been great, but David Dahl towards the middle of the lineup also doing well. 
But I do think that Joey Lucchese and company are going to be able to shut down the bats of the Colorado Rockies. So for that reason, if this is the number that we're getting, I'm going to be leaning to the, the San Diego Padres and the under. But check back on my Twitter page, at unit underscore D1, for official plays in the morning. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. It is the Cincinnati Reds, and they are taking on the San Francisco Giants in the wonderful state of California. The Giants trot out to there to the mound. Jeff Samarja, meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, it is Anthony DiScalfani taking the bump. Total in this game is 7.5 with the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125 juice. The over anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. If you like the Cincinnati Reds, you're going to be getting a price anywhere between minus 122 and minus 132. So this is ranging quite a bit. Meanwhile, if you like the San Francisco Giants, you're going to get anywhere between plus 122 and plus 110. This is a spot where I do look at Anthony DiScalfani and company being able to get the win. I really like what I've seen out of the Cincinnati Reds recently. They were able to hang seven runs on the board yesterday. Nick Senzel seems to be helping out this lineup quite a bit as they seem to have a little bit more firepower now. Meanwhile, both these pitchers have actually pitched a little bit better than many might expect. Jeff Samarja last year was a little bit of a train wreck. This year, he is 2-1 with a 3-1-6 ERA in 37 innings pitch. He's given up six long balls but just 10 walks, 105 whip. That's been sensational. Anthony D. Scalfani, meanwhile, 365 ERA. He's given up 14 walks in 37 innings. That's a little bit high, but the 44 punch-outs is very good, and he's given up six home runs himself. And with the Cincinnati Reds, even though they don't have the best team batting average at 212, they've gotten 56 home runs in their first 39 games, and leading the way with that is Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez with a combined 21. Jose Iglesias has given this team a batting average of a 282 to be able to help them out as well. And then you've got a couple other struggling bats for the Cincinnati Reds that you got to think at some point is going to get right. Joey Votto is not going to continue to hit 206 all year long. Yasiel Puig is also hitting 206. Dan Diedrich has provided 10 long balls of his own, hitting 240, so that's obviously been good. Tucker Barnard and the catcher position in general has not been a good one for this team, but Nick Senzel has been hitting 230 ever since getting the call up to the bigs, and he's been able to provide some RBI with six and three home runs. So. Gotta like the way that he's coming on for the San Francisco Giants. They were playing a lot of overs, but it's just because they were merely giving up a lot of runs. The Reds have won the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. They've got guys like Amir Garrett and Dylan Hernandez and company that you're able to rely upon. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, they were looking good with guys like Sam Dyson and company being able to help the team out, but Sam Dyson was used yesterday. They're not going to be able to look to him, and they had a myriad of issues as Derek Rodriguez all four of the runs he gave up were unearned but as far as the lineup is concerned, Stephen Boyd is hitting 467 but this is in a very small sample size. Bad that you've got really nobody else that's stepping up. Tyler Austin hitting 295 with a pair of home runs that he hit in Colorado a few days ago is nice but Stephen Duger hitting 252, Brandon Crawford 217, Brandon Bell 223, Joe Panic 236 with six home runs of his own but all in all things not necessarily going well. Buster Posey has been missing in the lineup the past couple days and Evan Lagu- in general, hitting 228, just not really a redeeming sign for this team. Cincinnati has looked better in recent form, and I think it's going to be another low scoring game. So, currently, Wayne Seamode on the under, but have already locked in the Cincinnati Reds on the money line. I think that they should be able to win this game, and I think they should be able to win this game convincingly. I'm not bold enough to be able to take this game on the run line just because I do think that it's going to be a little bit tighter, but I think that recent form with the Reds could allow them to win out in this game. Game 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation. The Washington Nationals are in Los Angeles to face off against the Dodgers. Walker Buehler goes for the Dodgers. Mad Max Scherzer on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Total in this game is 7 with the under set anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even juice and minus 110. 
If you like the Nationals, you're going to get a plus price here, anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. Want to lay it here with the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130. Max Scherzer has just been the victim of bad luck so far this year. Fielding independent takes into account a pitcher's ERA and what it would be if he had essentially league average fielders. That is a 195 this year. That is the best across the big leagues. Instead, we sit here with Max Scherzer with a 378 ERA, a 1-4 record, and 52 and a third innings. He's got 72 strikeouts and has given up just four home runs. He's just been the victim of bad luck. Meanwhile, Walker Buehler, his whip is only a 110, but he's got 495 ERA and a negative war, and that's because he's been lending himself to a lot of hard contact. Only four home runs given up in 36 and a third innings, but he's been giving up a lot of extra base hits. He hasn't necessarily done the best job with men in scoring position as well. And for the LA Dodgers. This is a team that has been doing a pretty good job offensively. So for that reason, I am on this total over and I've already locked it in. We've seen Jock Peterson have his struggles so far this year, but he was able to get off the shine and he was able to get two home runs yesterday for 12 on the year. Cody Bellinger, we all know what he's doing. 399 average, 14 home runs so far this year. Max Muncy seems to be picking up along with David Fries. Kike Hernandez hitting 240 is a little bit of a woe, as is Chris Taylor at 214 and Austin Barnes at 215, but Alex Verdugo hitting 337 has been nice. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, they need Anthony Rendon to get back on track. Ever since coming off the injured list, he's seen his average dip from a 356 to a 318. Howie Kendrick hitting above 300, but then you've got some struggling bats. Gerardo Parra and Brian Dozier hitting 200 or worse. Wilmer Defoe at the bottom of the lineup hitting 245 isn't terrible. Victor Robles isn't doing the best job of beginning on base, so his OBP at the top of the lineup below 300, so you got to think that with the Nationals, they're going to need some good pitching, and I think that Max Scherzer is going to be able to supply it. I know that he's backed up by a bullpen that, let's face it, stinks, but Kyle Bearclaw should be available for use in this one, along with John Doolittle, and with the Washington Nationals, I just have to trust in Max Scherzer being able to have a good start, and I think they're going to get to Walker Beeler and a bullpen of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So let's face it, Kenley Jansen isn't what he once was, and then you've got other guys like Emi Garcia that you don't have a lot of faith in. So for that reason, I am on the Nationals, and I'm on this total over. Both these plays are locked in. 9-15, 9-16 on the banging rotation. It is the Boston Red Sox, and they're playing host to the Seattle Mariners. The total on this game is 10.5 with the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under anywhere between even juice and minus 110 and that's because the pitching matchup has Felix Hernandez going for the Seattle Mariners meanwhile on the other end you've got Rick Porcello going for the good old Boston Red Sox and if you like the Red Sox you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195 if you want to take a plus price here with the Seattle Mariners that is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175 I do think that this is a spot where the Seattle Mariners might be able to get to Rick Porcello, even though he's looked a little bit better in his recent form. And I think that this is a total that's set a little bit too high. Felix Hernandez is not what he once was, but he's pitching a little bit better than he did last year. He had a completely abysmal start against the New York Yankees, but all in all, he has been limiting the walks 36 and a third innings. He's given out just five walks. Eight home runs are an issue, but for Rick Porcell in 37 innings, he's given up seven home runs and 17 walks, so not necessarily a redeeming quality there. And with Felix Hernandez, 135 whip. Meanwhile, with Rick Porcell, 157, and both these guys have an ERA above a 5-1, so obviously that's not good. And with the Seattle Mariners, what we do know about this team is that they are able to hit the long ball, and they are able to hit it relentlessly in their first 41 games of the season. They have provided 75 home runs. You just take a look up and down the lineup. Everyone is a threat to be able to hit one. D. Gordon is also hitting above 300. We've seen guys like Daniel Vogelbach and company fall back to the pack, but all in all, I do like what I'm seeing out of the Seattle Mariners. 
They seem to come back after rough goes of it the other day. And with the Boston Red Sox, we've also seen them be able to pick pick it up with the bats. Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatendi are now hitting above 290. J.D. Martinez hitting above 300. Mitch Moreland struggling with the average at 221, but he's got 11 home runs so far this year. Xander Bogart's hitting nearly 260. Rafael Devers, 314. And then you've got to like the way that Michael Chavis has been picking it up with a average of 270 ever since getting brought into the lineup. And Christian Vasquez at 266 has been nice. We also have seen the bullpen of the Seattle Mariners be a little bit hit or miss so far this year, but they do have a couple decent arms. And with the Boston Red Sox, I feel like they're really starting to regain some trust with the bullpen. You've got guys out there like Brandon Workman that are doing a good job whenever they're called upon. I also think that Heath Hembry has gotten a lot better since the season began. And Tyler Thornburg was used yesterday. So you're not going to have to deal with Tyler Thornburg at all. So for that reason, I am on the total under. But I do think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to tee off on Rick Porcell. And they're going to be able to offer just enough runs for a bullpen that has been not so good to be able to get by. So for that reason, going to be on the Seattle Mariners. And I'm going to be on the total under. Currently, Wayne Seabold on the under. Probably going to take that 10.5 at even juice because that was not there when I was posting my plays a little bit earlier, but certainly it's still in wait and see mode on the Seattle Mariners money line. 917-918 on the bang rotation. It is the Detroit Tigers, and they are on the road facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, better known as Michael Pineda, goes for the Minnesota Twins. Spencer Turnbull on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Total in this game is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. And the 9.5 carries an under between minus 120 and minus 125. The over is between even juice and plus 105. If you like the 9, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is between minus 110 and minus 105. And if you like the Tigers in the spot, you're going to get anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145. You're, if you if you are looking to lay with the Minnesota Twins, that is a minus 150 price and up to minus 155 as well. And it should be noted that this is going to be game one of a doubleheader as for the Detroit Tigers in game number two of the doubleheader. This is 931-932 on the betting rotation. The Minnesota Twins are going to be sending out there Cole Stewart. And then with the Detroit Tigers, it is one Gregory Soto. Now, we're going to break down game one first because this is the one that we can actually bet on right now. Plays on the second game going to be up on my Twitter page at GUNNRSquare81, but there's going to be no mystery as to what I'm going to be picking there. With this one, I'm going to be taking a look at the price plus price here with the Detroit Tigers, and I'm taking a look at the under. I'm trying to see if I'm going to be able to get a little bit more favorable juice on under nine, but when you take a look at the Detroit Tigers, they've got Spencer Turnbull going out there, which is big because their bullpen has been awful. you got guys like Zach Remington and company that have an ERA above 10. It's just a mismatch of really bad pitchers, but Spencer Turnbull is a guy that you could trust. 231 ERA and 39 innings pitch so far this year. He's given up just two home runs. 14 walks are a little bit high, but all in all, he's been great. And Michael Pineda, his name is more like Michael Pineda. 609 ERA, 153 whip. He's given up seven home runs and 34 innings. The nine walks that he's surrendered isn't necessarily too bad. And he's backed up by a bullpen that is slightly above average, I guess you could say. And with the Detroit Tigers, they're not necessarily hitting well. So for that reason, certainly looking at this total under with the Detroit Tigers as a collective, they're hitting 227. 
It appears as though Nico Goodrum is now day-to-day as well, which means that Miguel Cabrera is going to have to carry the offense even more than he already was. He's hitting 296. He hasn't really necessarily gotten it done with the deep ball. And I believe that the Tigers are dead last in regards to home runs so far this year. With the Minnesota Twins, they're supplying a lot of power, but I think that they're going to be a little bit stifled by Mr. Turnbull. You've got Max Kepler who's hitting 256. He's got eight home runs this year, as well as Mitch Garver. And Garver is hitting 364. He's been sensational. Jonathan Scope and Byron Buxton at the bottom of the lineup doing a good job of being able to get on and Jonathan Scope has some power. Marwin Gonzalez has now gotten his average above the Mendoza line and even though Eddie Rosario is only hitting 226, he's provided a double digit amount of home runs himself and we all know what Nelson Cruz is able to do and Jorge Polanco hitting 341 is sensational. And then with the Detroit Tigers, Christian Stewart and Gordon Beckham hitting three home runs right now leads the team. That is absolutely embarrassing. Ronnie Rodriguez is sitting above 300, with the, which is nice, but then you've got guys like Reiner, Jacoby Jones, and Jameer Candelario, who are all hitting 205 or worse. That is just not going to cut it. Nick Cassiano sitting 260 is good, but I do feel like with Michael Pineda on the mound, it is going to be just enough to allow the Tigers to be able to win this game in a low-scoring one, so for that reason, in Game 1, I'm going to be on the Tigers and the under. In Game 2, I'm going to be taking this total over as long as the total is not like 12. Let's face it, Cole Stewart, not necessarily a guy that you have a lot of faith in as a starter. But then, let's take a look at the other side with Gregory Soto. This is a gentleman that has spent seven years in the minor leagues as a pitcher. He's had three starts in his career above the double-A level. Yeah. Do you have any faith whatsoever in him? He's done a good job of limiting hard contact in his minor league career, but that's not saying much considering he's going up against single-A players. I just have no faith in them. I think that they're going to have to go to the bullpen early. And with the Detroit Tigers bullpen, it absolutely stinks. I'm going to be looking at the Minnesota Twins run line, and I'm going to be looking at that total over because I just read off the numbers that the Twins lineup have. I think that they're just going to mash them to high noon, and I think it's going to be a total mismatch. So we're going to be looking at the Twins run line and the over in that second game as long as it's anywhere near worth betting on and then in game number one we're going to be taking a look at the Detroit Tigers and the under 919-920 on the bank rotation the Toronto Blue Jays play out to the Chicago White Sox the total on this game is nine with the under at minus 120 the over is even Ivan Nova takes them out for the Chicago White Sox Marcus Stroman goes for the Toronto Blue Jays as the Blue Jays are anywhere between a minus 155 and minus 160 favorite meanwhile if you like the Chicago White Sox anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150 Yvonne Nova for the year has been pretty awful, but he only gave up one run in his most recent start against the Cleveland Indians. You got to think that maybe he figured out a little bit of something and he's going to be able to get something going. And helping him out is the fact that he's pitching against the Toronto Blue Jays as the Blue Jays as a collective ever since the call-up of Vlad Guerrero Jr. are hitting below 200 as a team and they're hitting just 220 for the year. They have not been doing a good job of being able to get on base. They're averaging less than a home run per game. And for the Chicago White Sox, they actually have some bats that are getting it done. Jose Abreu hitting 281, 35 RBI, 9 home runs so far this year. Tim Anderson hitting 328 himself. He's been pretty sensational. Yuan Mankata has seven dingers. He's hitting just below 300 himself. And then you've got a couple struggling bats for this team, like Nicky Delmonico. Ryan Cordell's hitting around 250, so things aren't necessarily going too bad for him. And you got to feel like at some point, Yonder Alonso and Williamson Castillo are going to be able to hit above a buck 75 like they are right now. And Charlie Tilson hitting 353 ever since he got called up to the bigs. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, 
The only guy in the lineup that was hitting above 270 for the team yesterday was Eric Sogard. He's been doing a terrific job for the team. Guy like that, Randall Gritchick is now hitting 248 with six home runs, but when that's essentially your second best hitter, that's awful. Teoscar Hernandez is hitting at the Mendoza line. He has only three home runs. Freddy Galvis has been in a little bit of a slump. Rowdy Telez has six home runs himself, and Justin Smoke has a couple dingers, but both these guys are hitting below 250 as well, and the catcher spot in general has been terrible. Both their catchers are hitting below 180, so it doesn't matter who they send out there. They're going to get no offense whatsoever from them, and with the Chicago White Sox, we've noticed that the bullpen has been doing a actually really good job for them. The White Sox bullpen has been improving throughout the year. You've got guys that you're able to look to like Colome for some very solid innings. Jace Fry, ever since a really bad start to the year, has been doing a good job of being able to bridge. And Carson Fulmer isn't necessarily too awful himself. So for that reason, I am going to be taking a look at the total under and I'm going to be taking a look at the Chicago White Sox in this spot. I'm currently in Wayne Sea mode on both these numbers because I'm noticing that Seam is coming in on the Blue Jays and I would like to try to get an unjuiced 9 in this spot, but I will certainly lay the juice if needed. But currently looking at the White Sox and the under. 921-922 on the bank rotation. The LA Angels are in Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. Dylan Bunny on the bump for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Matt Harvey goes for the LA Angels. The total on this game is 10 with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is between minus 105 and even juice. I'm seeing a pair of 10.5s out there as well. If you like under 10.5, that's between minus 115 and minus 125. If you like the over, that is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. If you want to take a shot here on the Baltimore Orioles, you're going to get a plus price of anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. Want to lay it here with the Angels, that is minus 140 to minus 145. And this is a spot where I'm not just going to lay it with the Angels. I'm going to look at a run line here. Last I checked, the Angels run line price was even. Going to try to see if I'm going to be able to get a little bit of plus money here, but it might be a little bit tough since his total is so high. Matt Harvey has not necessarily been himself so far this year, but Dylan Bundy, also an unbackable pitcher as well. Matt Harvey's whip is a 1.38, Dylan Bundy's a 1.32. Harvey has the 6.94 ERA, but he's given up six home runs in 36 and a third inning. Bundy has given up in 35 and two-thirds innings, nine home runs. Both these guys have given up 14 walks. The difference maker here, though, with the Angels, they have a much better bullpen, the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, second-worst ERA out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with the LA Angels, they've got one of the top five bullpens out there, and they've got some guys that have really emerged with the bat. Cole Calhoun now has his average up to a 231. He's provided nine home runs. you got to like the way that Brandon Goodwin is hitting above 300, along with Daniel Fletcher. Mike Trout, we all know what he's able to do. He went deep again yesterday, and Andrelton Simmons has his average above a 300 as well. Shohei Otani has not necessarily got on track ever since being reintroduced into the lineup, and appears as though Albert Pujols is a little bit hurt as Justin Bohr has been getting some starts. He's hitting below 300, but Jonathan Lucroy, very solid at the catcher spot. And with the Baltimore Orioles, it seems like their bats are really starting to come back down to earth. Jonathan VR hitting now below 260. Rio Ruiz at 240. Renato Nunez, 227. He's been able to provide six home runs, but he's coming back down to earth. The catcher spot in general has been a little bit of a nightmare for this team. Dwight Smith Jr. hitting 275 with some home runs, but all in all, you don't have a whole lot outside of Trey Boom Boom Mancini, who's hitting 326 with seven home runs himself. And with the way that the Orioles are pitching, I just think that they're going to get blasted in this one. I think the Angels are really going to be able to hold them down, and I think that Harvey's going to be able to have a good start. So for that reason, I'm taking a look at this total under, just in wait and see mode as to if I can get an unjuiced 10.5, and, and I'm going to be on the Angels' run line. Just would like to get a little bit of a plus price on that run line. Game 923, 924 on the betting rotation. We've got the Cleveland Indians, and they're in Oakland to face off against the A's. 
Aaron Brooks, no, not the former NFL player or the basketball player, going on the bump for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, Trevor Bauer. Total in this game is 8, with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Ditto for the under. Meanwhile, if you like the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be laying anywhere between a pretty harebrained number, as it is anywhere between minus 135 and minus 150. If you like the Oakland A's in this spot, this is ranging quite a bit as you're going to get anywhere between plus 125 and plus 135. I do think that Trevor Bauer is one of the most trustworthy pitchers out there in the big leagues. I know that he got rocked the last time he won on the mound against the Chicago White Sox, but all in all for the year, he has been pretty sensational. He's going up against a guy in Aaron Brooks that, let's face it, he's not doing very well. 2-3 and three is the record of Aaron Brooks. 574 ERA, 1-3-4 whip. In 31 and a third innings, he's given up 8 home runs. Limited the walks with just 10, and that's been an issue for Trevor Bauer. Bauer's given up 24 walks in 52 and two-thirds innings, but he's given up just 6 home runs in that time as well, and he's got 62 punch-outs. That's absolutely sensational and with the Oakland A's you know that there's always a threat that you could see Joaquin Soria J.B. Wendelkirk and our favorite Fernando Rodney going to the game meanwhile with the Cleveland Indians their bullpen has been pretty solid this year won the top 10 out there in regards to ERA and with the Cleveland Indians as well the bats have not really gotten going for the year, they are hitting as a collective 220 with just 33 home runs in 37 games. That's not going to get the job done. But Carlos Santana has really been the concept for this team with five home runs, hitting 289 with 19 RBI. Francisco Lindor has really been doing a decent job ever since he's gotten back into the lineup himself. He's hitting 257, but you got to think at some point that Jason Kipnis, Jose Ramirez, and Carlos Gonzalez is going to pick it up with the bat. Carlos Gonzalez hitting 231, and the other two hitting below 210. Jake Bowers has picked it up with a 254 average, and Taylor Naquin hitting 278 is nice, but the catcher spot in general has let this team down, and Leonis Martin hitting 215, obviously a bit of an issue. Meanwhile, with the Oakland A's, they are 0-14 whenever they do not hit a home run in a game. They were able to get a home run out of Matt Chapman in the 12th inning yesterday to be able to win that game, his 10th of the year. He's hitting 279. he He's been good, but when you take a look at Chris Davis, he's been out of the lineup for the past couple days, and it's because he just hasn't been doing much for this team. He hasn't hit a home run in quite a while, hitting just 226. An average for this team in general has been a little bit of a concern. Ramon Loreno is okay with the 232, but Robbie Grossman has seen his average dip to a 206. Kendrys Morales hitting just above the Mendoza line as well. Matt Olson is back in the lineup, but he's only hit 227 since returning. And then Jay Feigley has been nice along with Marcus Simeon. Both these guys hitting in the neighborhood of 280, but Jerickson Profar also hitting below the Mendoza line as well. And I think, th- I think that the Indians are going to be able to win a little bit of a lower scoring game. I have locked in both the under and the Cleveland Indians money line here. I certainly do think that the Indians are going to be able to win a little bit of a lower scoring game as we move on to a game that's currently off the board, 925-926 on the banging rotation. The New York Yankees are in Tampa Bay to face off against the Rays. Ryan Stanek going on the bump for the Rays. Meanwhile, CeCe Sabathia goes for the New York Yankees. This game is off the board since Ryan Stanek was not announced until after the team's loss earlier and with the Tampa Bay Rays going through their bullpen a little bit more than expected with Glasnow in going out of the game with injury. I do think that this might be a spot where the Yankees might have a little bit of value. This is a total where if I'm seeing anything above an 8, I'm certainly going to be taking it under. I do like the way that CC Sabathia has been pitching so far this year. Sands has one bad start. I believe that that was against the LA Angels. I might be wrong on that. He's actually been pretty solid. He's done a nice job of being able to command his pitches. And with the Tampa Bay Rays in general, they've got one of the best team ERAs out there in baseball. And with CC Sabathia, 320 ERA. He's given up six home runs in 25 and a third innings, but with the Tampa Bay Rays, they're a little 
bit inconsistent with their power. Brandon Lowe hitting 297, eight home runs, 22 RBI has been nice. And Austin Meadows now has seven home runs on the year. He's hitting nearly 350. He is huge for that Tampa Bay Rays lineup, to say the least. But then you've got a lot of other guys that are struggling a little bit. Tommy Pham hitting 292 is nice, but G-Man Choi has seen his average dip down to a 250. He hasn't been providing a lot of power. Yandy Diaz has been stuck on seven home runs for a very long time. And then we're noticing that Kevin Kiermeyer and Willie Adamas are both hitting only about 230. Vicio Garcia does a decent job of being able to get on base, but I do like the way that the Yankees are getting back a lot of their key pieces as well. Got to think that Miguel Anduar is going to be able to lift up that buck 54 average, and Brett Gardner at 205. It's a little bit of a travesty, but Gio Urshela hitting nearly 350. Cameron Maben, 325. Clint Frazier, nearly 300. Gary Sanchez has 11 home runs with his 258 average. Luke Voigt, 10 home runs with his 243. And DJ LeMayu with a 331 average is terrific. And with the Yankees, you know that they're going to be able to get on track with a lot of their relievers. They're not going to have Adam Adovino available, but you still have so many other guys like Zach Britton. They're able to do a good job. Luis Sessa. So I do think that this is a spot in which the Yankees are going to be able to win a little bit of a lower scoring game. But check back on my Twitter page in the morning at GNNRSquare81 for plays on that. 927-928 on the bag rotation. The Texas Rangers are in Houston to face off against the Astros. Garrett Cole going on the bump for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers... Jesse Chavez. He was not announced until after the game, so this is a total that is currently off the board. I can tell you right now, this is going to be a bullpen game for the Texas Rangers, and the Texas Rangers bullpen absolutely stinks. We have noticed that Garrett Cole has been giving up quite a few, quite a bit of hard contact this year, so I do think that there is a chance that we're going to see a massive slugfest. Garrett Cole, 3-4 this year, 417 ERA, 105 whip. He's given up 8 home runs in 49 and 2 thirds innings. Meanwhile, Jesse Chavez... Speaking of guys that give up hard contact, in 17 and the third innings, six home runs given up. He's got a 727 ERA and a 190 whip. And he's going to be backed up by a bullpen that includes guys like Jesse LeClerc, Springs and company. Oh, this is not good. I am looking at the Houston Astros run line. And I'm looking at this total over with the Texas Rangers. They've been doing a very good job of being able to supply runs. They're number one in the league in that. And Joey Gallo's been leading the charge, hitting 257, 11 home runs, 28 RBI. But you've got a lot of feast or famine bats. We saw that yesterday with the Texas Rangers not being able to score a single run. Sinchu Chu, Alice Andrews, Danny Santana, and Hunter Pence all hitting above 310 is nice. But how about the bottom of the lineup? Ronald Guzman, Kinnear Felfa, Azubo Cabrera, and Rudnett Odor all hitting 230 or worse. Nomar Mazzara only hitting 220 himself. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros top to bottom, everyone in the lineup yesterday was hitting 243 or better. Sanzi pinch hitter in Diaz, so they've got a lot of guys that are able to mash. Robinson Chirinos has been doing a nice job hitting 267. Jake Marizic was able to hit his third home run of the year. George Springer has 11 dingers on the year. Jose Altuve, 9. Alex Bregman, 9. Carlos Correa, 9. All these guys are able to do a great job of mashing. So I think that this is a game that we're going to see a very, very high amount of runs in, to say the least. And I think the Astros are going to be able to win it convincingly. But check back on my Twitter page, SGNRSCORE1, for official plays. And we wrap things up with 929, 930 on the banging rotation. It is the Philadelphia Phillies. And they are in Kansas City to face off against the Royals. Brad Keller going on the bump for the Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin goes on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. The total on this game is 9. And the 9 has a little bit of shading each way. If you like the... 
over, that is minus 110. If you like the under, that is minus 110. If you are on the Phillies in this spot, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot here on the Royals, that's anywhere between plus 123 and plus 130. Brad Keller has had a little bit of a rough go of it this year, and it's because of walks. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin has become one of my Favorite pitchers back. He was very profitable last year. We saw him pitch a complete game a couple weeks ago, and all in all, he's been terrific. 4-3 and three record, 3 ERA. He's given up 7 home runs and 42 innings, which is a little bit high, but just 7 walks. Meanwhile, with Brad Keller, 28 walks in 47 and a third innings. He's only given up 3 home runs, which is why he has just a 3.99 ERA, but still way too many walks for my liking. And with the Philadelphia Phillies, you've just got the better overall lineup. Gene Segura hitting nearly 300, and Reese Hoskins, 11 home runs and 32 RBI to go with his true average. You got to think that after having a slow go of it yesterday with the bats that they're going to be able to pick it up. Andrew McCutcheon in just 235 and Bryce Harper 237 are a little bit of an issue, but you know that they're going to pick it up along with Odubo Herrera. He's fresh back in the lineup hitting 251. Cesar Hernandez at the bottom of the lineup has been nice hitting 296. And Mikel Franco's hitting 241 with a couple dingers himself. Nick Williams hasn't picked it up since getting off the injured list, but JT Riamuto making nice contributions. And with the Kansas City Royals, they're top heavy as Ryan O'Hearn, Martin Mal- Donato and Billy Hamilton, all hitting 213 or worse. Got like the way that Jorge Soler has been getting the job done. 259 average, 10 home runs, and then Alex Gordon now has eight dingers and is hitting 291. And Alberto Mondesi and Whit Merrifield hitting 277 and 294 respectively with Mondesi hitting for over 30 RBI and Hunter Dozier doing everything with a 320 average and nine home runs. But I feel like the Phillies just have a much better bullpen. The Kansas City Royals have won the bottom bullpens out there in the bigs. Meanwhile, with Philadelphia Phillies, I'm beginning to trust guys more like Hector Neris and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Even you take a look at a guy like Pat Neshek, he's able to come in and get the job done. I have a feeling that the Phillies are going to be able to come out here and have a nice performance. I've already locked in the Phillies, and I'm currently in wait and see mode on the under. See if I can get a little bit more better shading there, but I'm going to be certainly playing both of those, as that will do it for a Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Jake Brown for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unit underscore 81. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.